welcome to episode 65 of the 905er. We're starting with a bit of an unusual introduction today. I'm not recording this intro with my usual partner in crime, John McLeod, but writing this intro at 12.36am on Tuesday morning, after the end of the latest Halton Catholic School Board meeting where the issue of raising the pride flag to demonstrate support and acceptance of LGBTQ plus students was discussed. This followed the failure of last week's meeting to even get to the agenda item. Joel spent all evening live-tweeting the board meeting, providing detailed live coverage of the entire debate. The 905er was the first media organisation to mention this story, and is still the only media in Halton to give it any significant coverage even as it attracted national and international attention. We've had two full episodes speaking to former students, parents, a doctor, and LGBTQ activists about what the pride flag means to them. Joel has now written multiple articles on the subject, and I'm pleased to say that they have broken all previous records for the 905's coverage and been shared by media organisations across Canada. The result at the HCDSB board meeting tonight was all too familiar. Faced with a binary choice, demonstrate support for LGBTQ plus students, or reinforce the impression that a state-funded school system views some people as less worthy of support based on their sexuality or gender identity, the board tried to fudge its way into doing nothing while appearing to do something. On Thursday, we'll do a full breakdown of what happened on Monday night, but it seems clear that the board did what our political institutions are too good at doing, trying to please everybody and thereby pleasing nobody. But this whole story has illustrated why we created the 905er and what we can do given the right circumstances. Our website stats and downloads make it very clear. People care about this story happening right here on our doorsteps. Yet without the 905er, nobody with actual roots in the region would be providing any coverage. We, or I'll be completely honest, Joel all on his own, have provided important coverage which helped raise the profile of this issue and brought national and then international attention. We need much more coverage like this. Our region of 4 million people deserves it. You deserve it. But the coverage we're providing comes at a cost. We're a completely volunteer organisation right now, doing the best we can in the hours that we have. And we're proud of what we've achieved in just over six months to let you hear direct from people making the news in the 905 in a way that you haven't heard before. But we want to be able to do so much more. We want to be able to commission journalists, do more in-depth research, more interviews, special series and investigations. For that, we need to have financial backing from you, our listeners. We need you to invest in the future of the 905 and to become the architects with us of something with the power to hold the powerful in our region to account, fully independent and able to shine a light on the huge issues that affect us all, written by people who live here. Please support us. You can do so today by going to patreon.com slash the 905er. That's patreon.com slash T-H-E 905-E-R. You can support us for as little as $7 a month and you'll receive numerous patron-only benefits depending on which level of support you're willing to give. Thank you so much. It's now 1.47am and I'm about to start editing the episode that will be published at 7am. If I do a proper editing job, it takes two or three hours. Tonight, I don't think I'm going to take that long. So this may not be the best editing example that you ever hear. 
Um, but it matters. It really matters that we can provide the coverage of the stories in the 905 like this. And we hope you'll agree. And now on to today's episode. A year into the COVID-19 pandemic, we want to take stock and remind ourselves of why we locked down a year ago on March 13th. Amidst the sound and fury of the political debates, the voices of those who have experienced COVID-19 firsthand have largely been drowned out. Ashley Comrie spent two months in hospital with COVID-19 a year ago. She's still recovering and dealing with serious ongoing physical and psychological health challenges caused by the nightmare of COVID. A few weeks ago, she wrote a Twitter thread about the government's handling of the third wave that went viral and perfectly summed up the frustration that many of us have had with the failure to do the things needed to stop the spread. Combined with the insight that only a person who experienced the very worst that COVID can bring. Every day of this pandemic, we need to keep the experience of people like Ashley Comrie front and centre. She has experienced everything, not just the worst of COVID, but since she got out of hospital, the worst behaviour that the pandemic can bring out in other people too. The fact that after all of that, she's still such a cheerful and delightful guest is testament to an extraordinary person. So uh, welcome, Ashley Comrie, to the 905er. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, and we invited you on, to, obviously, to talk about a number of things, but mainly, you know, arising from your experience uh, last year where you had uh, COVID-19 um, in in the kind of first wave and experienced, uh, I think you ex- you explained it well yourself in, in um in your Facebook post, I think um, that you know, if you had a bingo sheet, you had everything, like everything to do with it, uh, every possible kind of complication. And um, obviously, it's uh, uh, you know it's important that people hear the, these experiences. So perhaps you could, we could just start off with you, um, kind of telling us a little bit about your story um, and and what that uh, what that first experience was like. Yeah. I mean, so I was kind of, I was in the middle of isolating like everyone else at that time. I think we, I, last year we were all taking it, I feel a bit more seriously. Um, it was new, it was novel. Nobody really knew what was going on. Um, I was really busy with work. So I could, I was lucky enough I could work from home and, you know, I was working like I could throw myself into work and, you know, like share memes like everyone else, like, oh, like about lockdown. Um, and I saw the kind of numbers growing. And I mean, it's funny to look back now because the numbers last year that we were like, oh, wow, that's terrible are like, look like baby numbers now. Um, yeah. And so we were being really careful. And my husband actually went to get groceries. That's all we were doing. Um, and he went to get groceries and unfortunately he came home and two days later we got a notice from our optimum card saying, oh, you shopped on a day that we had someone test positive. And then we got it one the next day saying, oh, actually two people have tested positive. Um, and then, yeah, so Kirk got sick first and then about two days later I got sick and it was really strange because I hadn't left the house. So for me, it was like, well, this can't be COVID. Like I haven't left the house, but then that little part in your brain is also like, well, whatever followed him home has to be tenacious enough that it came from the grocery store into our house. Um, But you're just in this kind of like, this can't actually be happening to me moment. 
Um, yeah. And so he got sick first. And then I had this night where I woke up in the middle of the night with this, just like the worst cough ever. And I remember being like, Nope, this is not COVID. And I just went back to sleep. Cause I was, I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this right now. This can't be what's happening. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of went from there, like your typical symptoms around, you know, loss of taste and smell. Um, I just got a fever of 104. I started like hallucinating that my, I was going to see my dead grandparents. And at that point, Kirk was like, I think we need to go get you tested. Um, you, you, you're not quite yourself. And then, yeah. I was just going to say, so, so what happened? So you, at that point you, you realized th- this is serious. We need to go to the hospital. Uh, can, you, can you tell us what hospitalization is like for a COVID patient? Yeah, so it's really strange because when you first go in, um, you you know how they ask you all of those questions, like do you um, do you have this? Do you like do you have a cough? Do you have a fever? And I kept saying yes, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I have COVID, and they they didn't quite know what to do at that point because it was very early on, so they kind of put me um, in a corner. Um, well, they waited to kind of get me in through, through a merge. And uh, I just had to keep telling people, don't sit next to me. (laughs) Like, please don't sit next to me. Like, please move. And then I had this moment where, I mean, I, I was pretty out of it at this point. I, they kept asking me my birthday and I didn't know what it was. I knew I should know. I was like, I, I knew it was something that was in my head. I just couldn't tell them what my actual birthday was. And I remember they kind of like isolated me in the emerge room or the emergency room and then, you know, like started talking about that I was going to be, um, you know, brought upstairs and actually inpatient. And I remember as they were taking me at that point, I it was having a really hard time breathing. So it was just these little gasps that were happening. Um, but my oxygen levels were okay. But I just, I, these un- involuntary gasps c- kept happening. Um, and I remember oh the goodness. nurse in the ER looked at me and she's like, I hope you get better. And there was no soon at the end. And it was just, I hope you get better. And I was like, soon? Like, it just, it was this moment of kind of realizing, oh, this is, this is bad. This is something, this is, there's not necessarily a soon here. Yeah. And uh, you, in your, I mean, uh, how, how, uh, you came to my attention was just through your your Twitter account where you did some really wonderful um, kind of explanations to the world at large about why COVID is important, uh, which seems shouldn't be quite necessary at this point, but here we are. Um, here yeah. we are. <laughs> um, and there's all those, you know, some of these things we know are issues, such as the isolation, the fact, the fact that you're cut off from family. Yeah. Um, but can you kind of express in words what that feels like to basically be suddenly you're, you're, surrounded by strangers and uh, and you don't know when that's going to sort of stop yeah I mean it's it's one thing to be surrounded by strangers when you're when you're well it's something entirely different when you are so sick that you and you're sick with something that's very new and no one really knows a lot about and you've got no one with you like I went from you know being able to kind of um, get around the room on my own um, to suddenly very quickly being in the ICU because my oxygen levels had dropped so quickly. And I remember thinking that I was going to die and having all of these people surrounded and this, I've got this crazy fever and 
I wasn't used to people in PPE because this was back when masks weren't mandatory. So I've got all these people that look like aliens to me um, and they're trying their best and they did an amazing job. Like I still remember the nurse holding my hand when my oxygen levels kept dropping and, you know, looking scared and I was scared. And all I, all you want is someone who knows you, right? Like that's what anyone wants when they're sick, right? You want your mom, you want your, your friends, you want someone there. Well, I mean, that, I mean, we are going back to the beginning of this pandemic, but I mean, that, that note is a powerful one, I think for our listeners to know is that you have, like, you, you didn't know if you were going to die, essentially. You, you, you did at that point, you, you knew this d- disease kills. You didn't mm-hmm. know if you're going to live or die. You have nurse nurses trying to just comfort you, but I, I mean, any of us would, would want to believe that, okay, if, if we, if the possibility of our death is coming along. We want our, our our husbands, our wives, mothers, fathers, our loved ones around us, and you don't get that opportunity with this disease. You 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 die alone is something that I, th- I think our listeners need to understand is that you you don't, and that's to me that that's one of the more, more insidious things is that it's it's not a disease that you you can time it and you you can you can pass gracefully. You die alone in a hospital bed, yeah, with strangers, right. And yeah, I, I, and it's it, it. I can't emphasize enough how lonely and scary that feeling is, right? Because I mean, you, I had a lot of kind of moments because all I could do was lie there, and you know they explain the intubation process to you, and you, they're all kind of standing over you, and they explain what's about to happen, and you know it's very clear that there's a chance that you're not going to wake up from this, and. All, all I remember thinking was, I'm going to just, I'm going to be by myself. Like, I, this, there's no one here. There's, I, they're not going to know what, like, what my last words are. Like, there's no, just all the th- kind of things you, I mean, we don't talk about death. Sorry, my dog is on my lap. <laughs> oh, what a cute guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, he likes to, he likes to be a part of everything. I left him for two months and he's still mad. Um, but yeah, I think we don't talk about death enough, but you, I just, I had this moment that I didn't think I'd be having at 37, which was, this is not how I thought I was going to die. I did not think I was going to be alone. I did not think I was going to be with strangers and just another number. Well, and that's the horrendous and, thing, right. isn't it? That, that, yeah, that, that kind of being reduced to a statistic and, and, yeah. and almost worse for those people who... Uh, people say who have pre-existing conditions because, like, oh, well, they had a pre-existing pre-existing condition like that makes any difference at all to the tragedy of it right um and i get that all the time i get people ask because they, they want right. to know right people are scared they want to think that it can't happen to them and so they re- i think people really are like they, they need to know that there's something that i did that brought it on for me to get that sick and i think that takes away from the fact that people with pre-existing conditions are contributing members of society, right? They're your friends, they're your family. They're like, same with people who are older, just because someone has something they're dealing with or is of a certain age, doesn't mean they're just expendable or or that anyone deserves to die like that, like alone and with strangers. It's just- Yeah, I mean, it, that, and that certainly, I think we did grasp that somewhat at the start of this thing. And it seems to me anyway, I don't know if you agree that- over the last six months, nine months almost, that's just been forgotten. You know, it, it, it's, yeah. it's you know, well, uh, people find excuses for why this kind of doesn't apply to them. And, you know, and there, there's you, someone who did yeah. everything right, uh, which is like the one thing that we all still always have to do is go to the, to the uh, supermarket. 
yeah. and yet it found you. You know, it's um, it, it's yeah, it, it, it's really uh, um, it. it well, just speaking to you now, it's kind of you know, it, it's a powerful kind of message that I'm receiving myself. So, um, now you were in hospital yeah. for um, uh, two months, did you say? Months, and yeah. you were in ICU <laughs> for quite a bit of that. Um. Yep, I was in. So I was in. I got transferred. I had this kind of strange. What? Well, it's not really strange. It's actually quite common, but I didn't know it at the time. Is that every time I would start to get better, um, and I'd like they got to a point where they were like sitting me up in the bed, and like that was huge. Like I can't even tell you. Like I was like, okay, I've 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 got this. I'm sitting up with help. And then, you know, like they're weaning me off the machine. Like I had this big like facial thing on and I, they put me on the regular oxygen, which I was calling baby oxygen. And then it was like groundhog day. The same thing happened again and all the machines start going off and you're just like, what is happening? And both my uh, lower lungs had collapsed at that point. And this was so early on that I still remember the doctor coming in and saying she had just read about this, what they were doing in Italy, which was proning people, putting them on their stomachs. And so they're like, we can try that. And because they, they didn't know what was going to help, right? There wasn't steroids. There, it was very, very early. Um, and so they, I did, I called it my tummy time. And I was like, I'm going to have the strongest neck of any 37 year old. And it was excruciating. Like it was, it was awful. And I just laid on my stomach for like 12 hours a day. And you're just like, I would just try and will my oxygen levels to go up. And at, by that point, they were taking fluid off my heart. Um, it was in my kidneys. I was still testing positive. I was one of those strange people that I tested positive for 45 wow. days. Yeah. Um, so that meant that even when I did start to get a little bit better, I was still trapped in a room. Um, and so they would just literally like put, push the food in once I could eat again, which I think was around month, like after a month, um, they'd like push the plate in and then I'd have to like go and break it in. It was very, it was a very strange thing, but I was, I was still, I was still positive. Um, um, so, and, sorry, I, I was just going to say. Yeah. So after after all this, um, once you were once you were uh, 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 discharged from the from the hospital, were you still yeah. suffering any lingering after effects? Because uh, we've had people come on say shortness of breath, or they're just fatigued more than often. They can't, you know, oh, yeah. simple things like walking up the stairs of their house or going for a walk around the block is like they're running a marathon. Uh, do you, did you suffer and are you still suffering from, from after effects? Yeah. So I, when I finally got out of hospital, um, I did some inpatient rehab, which was helpful. I had unfortunately, um, some brain inflammation, um, that happened, which meant that I actually had this whole thing where like my left eye and my left whole side, left side of my face fell and my left couldn't use my left arm and my left leg. And so I had to relearn how to like use a knife and fork and kind of walk again because and be able to do things. And what they realized then was that I was actually testing as if I was had a brain injury. Um, so I was diagnosed with an acquired brain injury from and I couldn't understand because I was like, I came in with a lung infection and now I have a brain injury. Um, but of course, by then they figured out that it's a lot of it is um, has to do with your um, blood vessels not, it's not like just like a regular virus. And so when I left, I still couldn't speak properly. So that's where my, I've been, why I had been writing a lot was because that was my main um, mode of communication because words weren't coming out right. 
Um, words would be jumbled. Reading out loud, I sounded like a child. Like I, it was like I had to go back to school to kind of learn. I did speech therapy for six months just so that I could talk like this again. And, and so that, I, yeah, there's been long kind of the long haul symptoms, the typical long haul symptoms of, you know, um, I used to work out, I did CrossFit, I did um, like hit training and, you know, like walking around the block would put me out of breath. Um, you know, doing dinner, like trying to make dinner or some kind of meal for myself for the first four months, I'd have to sleep afterwards. Um, and so it's been about rebuilding that. And do, and your, your doctors, uh, are they saying that this might be, uh, your condition, your condition for the foreseeable future or are they, is this just a wait and see and see how it goes? It's been a wait and see. The problem with this is that no one knows. It's all so right. new. And I've been extremely lucky. I've got, I mean, I've collected uh, specialists now, like people collect cereal toys. Like I've got like a cardiologist, a hematologist, a nephrologist, just because I've had so many, I've had three kidney procedures. Like it's just, there's been lots of things that have come up. And, you know, one of the things they said around the brain injury is that I was going to make the most recovery in that first year. Um, and so that's really scary when you're like, when I was month one of being at a hospital and like any loud sounds would make me cry and I couldn't remember, I nearly burnt our house down several times. Like that's really scary when you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to, this is the first year is really the most important, but now I look back and I can say, I can have, like, I can have a conversation with you guys and you can understand right. what I'm saying. And I don't necessarily need to go take a nap afterwards. So I've definitely made games. Um, there's still parts of me that are different and I don't know if they'll ever come back. Um, but my understanding is that it can be, it can, like, they don't really know how long the recovery is going to be. That's, I, I find that that's an interesting, uh, fact that we don't hear enough is that this, we think we know everything there is to know about, uh, about COVID we're, we're told, Oh, you know, you can hang out outside. You can, you know, we, we need to wear a mask. Don't, don't six feet apart. And that's, that's going to keep you safe. And I think it will. Uh, but there's so much more about this disease that we're not getting that what you described, I am, and this is putting, putting a bit, a bit of a, a policy hat on you alone are going to cost the Ontario taxpayer a lot of money in healthcare costs yep. going forward. Uh, not putting any blame on you, obviously, but yep. just there's to all the specialists that you're, that you're receiving, but all the specialists that you're receiving, we're paying for it. And I'm thinking yep. multiply that with, uh, how many people are surviving COVID, but they're in your situation where it's not, and it's not, we can't even say, oh, we're just, we're going to have a new field of COVID-19 specialists, uh, because every, everyone's after symptoms are so vastly different. It's, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, cardiologists, we're talking about speech pathologists, um, neurologists, the whole, can, can we, like we may be dealing with this in terms of a, a burden on our healthcare system, almost if you think about it, for possibly for a generation to come. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's what kind of, that's why I wrote that tweet in the first place, because I was just getting so, it is like mind blowing to me that we're even here. So I'll, I'll tell you this story. So when I was in hospital, so when they took me up to the ICU, they wheel you past, I was still conscious and they wheel you past all the people on ventilators, right? So you see, I saw all the people there and then they kind of put you in your little thing. And, you know, in, I think it was, I want to say it was August, I was at, um, I think it was at physio, 
at the hospital and I got a call from one of the doctors. Um, I had done a research study because I signed up for everything just to help if I could. And the doctor was just giving me updates on the research study and where it was. And he was like, you'd be really happy to know we don't have anyone in ICU right now with COVID. And that was, I want to say it was around August. And I was, it was such a relief, right? To hear like, okay. And then now to look at where we've come and how many people we have in ICU and how many of those people are dying. And then not even talking about the people who just get regulars, like just sick, like the flu, quote unquote, as people say, um, who then have those long-term effects, the amount of money that we are going to be putting out to take care of people through disability through benefits, through um, allied health benefits, through just doctor's appointments for God knows how long is astronomical compared to the money that we could actually put out to give people paid sick days to actually put things in place that would prevent people from getting this virus. Yeah. I mean, it's so infuriating um, that the short sightedness of, of what's happened in the last, or really since about August of last year, it seems to me where, where somewhere along the line, a decision was made not to treat this thing so seriously anymore and to well, yeah. again keep the businesses open uh, well they seem to be closed an awful lot to me despite you know all these efforts um mm-hmm. and, and you know that that Even certain yeah and just <laughs> going beyond the well exactly yeah uh, just going beyond the um uh the actual covid patients there's the people who are now missing out on operations uh who are not being treated yeah. uh because this isn't being controlled um uh, there was well, actually, uh, I, let's let's address a particular comment that was made by an MPP this week. Um, um, now, I can't remember the quote, but basically saying that there's a, a bunch of politicians making a fuss about nothing or exaggerating the seriousness of the situation. The chicken That's little the comment? Yeah. I think it was like something about We're talking, yeah. just, just say the name, Roland. Jane, <laughs> Jane McKenna, our MPP. Because um, we, we, for the record uh, and for our listeners, uh, I sent an email to her office to say, come on, come on. I'll give you a chance to clarify what what you said. Um, we have not heard back from her. Uh, that, and that was so, so how, how would you respond um, as a completely non-political person to a, uh, a comment like that? I just, I'm so tired of the politics. I can't even tell you the, like a comment like that about people being chicken little, I think has only served to again, divide people into this, like, and we're further and further going down this divide of like people who believe COVID exists and people who don't people who believes, who believe businesses should be open and then people who don't. And there are these arbitrary, um, you know, categories that we're putting people in or people think they need to belong in. And comments like that are just are so unhelpful and just further serve to divide people. Because when you've got someone in a position of power and especially political power saying this isn't something to worry about and, you know, people are being chicken little, then you're going to have people hear that and interpret it as, well, see, like there's really not a big deal. This is just a government scam or this is this is just the government trying to get more powers. Like it just I, I can't imagine saying something like that and not realizing the effect that you have to, that you've had on people with that comment it's and, and this particular mpp jane mckenna doesn't say things very often so but the fact that this is one of her few public statements is uh particularly uh galling i have to say um yeah and i, I just going through your, your your twitter account i mean i also noticed that you know again with this 
like you say, this this polarization that seems to affect everything these days has affected COVID just as much, if not worse than other things. So when you have commented publicly on this subject, you, uh, I think I saw you mention that you, you've then had to deal with kind of hateful comments coming from 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 members of the public. So many, and it's it's shock. I mean, it's it's somewhat shocking to me. I mean. Um, I, I'm so surprised because I've had comments from, I get a lot of nice comments for sure, but I get comments like you should have died. Um, you are, again, you're a burden on the healthcare system. Now, the majority that I'm getting now, and it's interesting because I think I, when I wrote that tweet, I had said that I get these comments about, you know, you should have died. And so then it kind of pivoted to like, as you can see, I've got a chubby face from steroids. I started getting a lot and this was on Facebook, this was on Twitter and like people who I can see, like I can see their pictures and I can see that their favorite show is The Masked Singer and that, you know, they live in Caledon. Like, so I'll never understand why people think it's okay to go on the internet and do this, but I'll get the comments of like, oh, you're morbidly obese. That's why you got sick. Um, I got memes of people who are morbidly obese. I got one where, you know, this very, very large person was in a um, scooter eating McDonald's all around her and saying like, Um, the quote from her over her head was, um, you know, put a mask on, you're making me sick. Um, Like, so I get a lot of those. I got a lot of comparisons to my thousand pound life, like just these, like, that seemed to be the thing. And again, it goes back to that people wanting to think that I got sick because of something I did to myself. Um, But it was, it just doesn't stop. You get all of these messages and all of these hate. And what I was trying to do with that tweet was have a dialogue around I don't think the measures that we were taking at that time were the correct measures. I also feel horrible for businesses that have had to be closed, especially those in like, you know, looking particularly at, um, you know, salons and healthcare and those kind of, and like gyms and stuff. Like I feel awful for those guys. And just to get this hate of like, just because I had COVID, like that's really the only reason because I had COVID and because I had an opinion. It's indescribable. It's simply, and, and and more power to you because, I mean, just having spoken to you just for the last half hour, you're obviously a very positive person, a very uh, cheerful, you're, you're smiling. Uh, I beat COVID, my, I got to be cheerful. <laughs> well, I guess, but wow. Um, this, it, it like, I, I'm almost speechless. I'm almost speechless with, with, with the, how awful people can be. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like you know, uh, you, you know, you're so articulate, uh, well spoken, both verbally and in writing. And why would people want to to? It's just this is the state of our society now, and yeah. I'm kind of getting completely off topic now and just ranting generally. <laughs> that okay, we uh, need to I'm get gonna, past this this division. I just want to pause for one second because I need to go get my health card number because as we've been talking, uh, I got an email my vaccine <laughs> appointments come up, so I need to get my health card <laughs> number. Uh, you guys yeah, keep talking. I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the hunger games. Well, you gotta go get that yeah. number. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too, isn't it? Um, um, uh, it feels like that because uh, I think Joel's been signing up to. You know, there's websites saying where there are there are vacancies at the moment. I haven't got that far yet um, of doing that. I probably should, but I work from home, and even by normal, even by everybody else's standards, I, I'm not going out much at the moment. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like um, 
uh, I guess we should treat that as a proper pause, shouldn't we? And not just. Um, oh, you could. We could put that into the episode that as we're talking, Joel got his vaccine appointment because <laughs> that is one thing. Which is I, amazing. I do, well, it is. It, it's one of the things that I did want to talk to you about was, mm-hmm. um, you know, do like do do we have? Do you do you feel that we are? that our government has done what it can to keep us safe as, as within reason. I, I know, I, I mean, I, I have my own opinion on the matter, um, but mm-hmm. I mean, you see that you see that what we haven't had paid sick days, businesses are scared of being shut down. Uh, the, the fact that we've been doing this for a year and we still have people who think COVID is a hoax. Uh, we still have people who think masking is somehow an infringement on our, God-given rights and freedoms and 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 what have you. Um, what 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 do you take as somebody somebody who dealt with this, who dealt with the realities, mm-hmm. and who who let's face it was li- literally on the front line of this pandemic. Um, what what's your re- what's your take on the, on the state of this province in this country a year over a year into this thing? It's so disheartening. It's so I I, I really can't believe that this is where we're at. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is. Ex- I get that it is extremely difficult to try and write policy and, you know, um, deal with a pandemic when you've got thousands of different priorities and thousands of different interest groups kind of coming at you. But I think those fundamental things around making sure that people in our society who are the mul- most vulnerable are protected um, should never be the cost of or come at the cost of, you know, making sure that the people who are already making money and, you know, doing all right, don't have to suffer. And I think what's happened, and at least from my perspective, is that, you know, it hasn't been about small businesses. It hasn't been about, you know, people who have been really struggling and tried really hard. Like, there are so many stories of businesses that have done so many modifications to try and, you know, make sure that they are um, adhering to the rules and then they're closed down arbitrarily, right? They're they're just it's just a blanket, and you're closed. Um, and I think that's one of what, one of the things that I said in um, my tweet around, you know, like you know, I can't you can't go to a hairdresser who's got like has put in put things in place to make sure that their customers are safe, has a list, does, has done everything possible, but you can go to Costco with two hundred other people, um, and you know, like I'll touch the same things. Like it's it's just I feel like instead of making the hard decisions, there have been the, the choice was made to kind of try and keep everyone happy. And when you do that, you end up, it's at the cost of proper policy. I I think you're absolutely right there. I think, I think that's absolutely my feeling that, and I think it's maybe a problem and maybe this isn't a party political thing. I think maybe all parties in Canada, maybe the Western world have this problem these days. of not wanting to upset anybody. Yeah. Um, and you can't do it. You've got to upset people. You've got to close business down. So you've got to take, you know, and I find it so ironic that with a premier who who has this tough guy image, that he's so completely incapable of being a tough guy. <laughs> um, he talks the talk, where boy, has he never walked the walk. Um, and actually follow through. Like, I remember seeing in October, if they had closed in October, because the modeling was coming out that it was starting to rise. If we had done a two-week hard stop in October, reset everything, or the like hard break or whatever it was that he ended up saying, and it was in May uh, or April, 
if we had done that in October, we could have, we didn't have to shut down businesses for the Christmas period. We didn't have to go into these lockdowns that have really ruined people's financial capabilities to have their businesses and keep paying or feeding their families. If we had just done the hard thing in October for two weeks, and then again, when it, like every time those cases started rising, we wouldn't be here and just nobody would make those hard decisions. Yeah. It, it, I feel like it was a, I don't know if it was a conscious decision or an unconscious decision, but one way or the other, the decision was made to not deal with this properly, and it hasn't saved a business a penny. It hasn't it hasn't helped anybody. It just hasn't helped anybody. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, hurt. It's, it's, it's just they've managed to hurt everyone across the board. Yeah. There's no one in Ontario that's not hurting right now. Yeah, well, right. There's I, just I mean, there's I'm, not. It's just it's. I, th- I think the, like this last week uh, the, uh, that we, I mean, the week that we've been that we're recording this, I, has seen a drastic change of opinion with with the premier in regards to handling of of this mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, it's it's, and I, I think I want to I wanted I do want to loop in. Uh, we just, we discussed Jane McKenna's uh, uh, comments earlier, but I think it loops into this government's approach to this pandemic, which uh, it's an opinion that I'm coming around to, is that. They lack the empathy to deal with it. Um, the the it's and I, I this is something I've I've kind of come around to the the story about Doug Ford not knowing how to use a computer to do when when he had to go into isolation, and it was like a, a light switch turned clicked on for me. And it's reason why he hasn't he has not clued into why companies need to be told go into you know st- have your people stay at home work from home socially it's that he's never actually had to experience it. he he's never he himself has never been stuck to sit on a zoom call talking with colleagues and and to try and organize a meeting that with the frustration that some of us have had he's never had kids screaming and running around uh when they're homeschooled or not home, i don't want to say homeschooled when they're doing the synchronized learning and they mm-hmm. to, to understand the really like parents frustration with that yes it's necessary but to be like is there, you know, why can't we make schools safer that this, we're not in this situation? Um, and then, of course, you have the the frontline, sorry, the 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 essential workers who are forced to go into work, so we can all all have an economy that's going. Like it's just there seems to be just a disconnect between what's reality on the ground, what you what you're going mm-hmm. through, Ashley, and what he's experienced, and he just he cannot bridge that gap. He, no, he just he, like he a, just he's go ahead. Yeah, I think I I mean I think that's something that I've really come to look at in the last year as well is just around like privilege and the fact that mm-hmm. even my story, I was really lucky, right? I was lucky enough that I, you know, never had to worry that the color of my skin meant I'd be treated differently or not get access to anything. I mean, I have a job that, you know, I have disability benefits so that I can stay home and get better. I don't have to rush back. Um, and I have access to all the medication and, you know, healthcare that I needed. Like I thought a lot about, like if I gotten sick in the States and spent two months in hospital, my life would be over, right? Like I just, I wouldn't be able to come back from that. And so it's made me think a lot about the fact that, you know, you can't really understand what's going on in everyone's life based just on your experiences. And I think that's missing from our government's representatives sometimes in terms of understanding that, you know, your experience is not what everyone else is experiencing. Yeah. It's that ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, isn't it? That, that, that uh, it it just seems to be missing. Um, 
so often. Um, and it's ended up with that feeling. I felt it multiple times during, during this whole experience that um, if the politicians had stayed home, we'd be almost as, we'd probably be better off. Like if they just hadn't even opened their mouths since last March. <laughs> yeah. And, and usually I, I'm, I'm kind of on the side of the politicians in that I think government can be a force for good. And mm-hmm. I, I try not to kind of go down the path of they're all assholes, they're all jerks, uh, you know, um, they're all the same, blah, blah, blah. But this year, we've seen it municipally, we've seen it um, provincially. Uh, the federal government hasn't been far from perfect as well. Yeah. Um, we, we, It's like, boy, if you guys just did nothing, it would be better than this. Um, you know, just let the doctors take over and, and you know, you can come back when this is over. Um, it's been really discouraging. And uh, uh, well, as I say, I'm so impressed at how positive you are <laughs> having been a lot closer to the to the front of this whole thing than than any of us uh, want to be um i guess we're coming up on our, our timeline now um uh and i guess a good way maybe to end is to to um you know if if you could say one thing to uh the provincial government or or any level of government actually let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about the province about what they should have done and how they should proceed from here, um, what would it be? It would be stop listening to ideological arguments and start actually listening to the people who are going through the actual hardships that you're trying to address. Listen to the business, like the small business owners, listen to the people who, you know, are working in factories, talk to the people who've actually been through COVID and can tell you what it's actually like and what the ramifications are and what it's like trying to recover. Like, don't listen to the people who are ideologically in one camp over another, um, because that's that you're always going to end up kind of blocking people out of of the narrative when you do that and I think unless you're there talking to people and I mean it's I I get that it's an easy thing to do or or that it's uh, it appears that it would be uh, sorry hard to do so there's my words starting to go a little but it's one of those things that I don't think unless you can actually go out and talk to those people you're not getting you're not getting the information that you need right? You need more people like me, you, and not even necessarily me, but people who've gone through this and who are actually dealing with the ramifications day to day on on some of your, um, you know, tables. You need the people who have small businesses, not, not your Amazons and your Walmarts, and you need the small business owners on some of those tables. You need the people who work in factories on those tables because you'll just miss things otherwise, right? Look at, look at the... Um, I'm going to go back to the province, but look at the whole, you know, we're going to close playgrounds. Yes, that seems like a good idea when you're talking, I guess. But when you actually talk to anyone with toddlers or children, you're, you're going to find out that that's actually a really terrible idea. And I think that's the problem is you're seeing these decisions get made um, based on not even sure what sometimes, but it feels like ideology and instead of the actual facts and what's going on in the world. As a, uh, a a man with a higher pay grade than I would have said, uh, have a heart. Uh, so I think we'll leave it at that. And thank you very much, Ashley, for uh, coming on, sharing your story. And we hope that you you recover to be one hundred percent as you were before uh, before COVID. Sorry, as I start coughing, it's a perfect way to end. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
thanks so much. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on on the Dean Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because democracy democracy is is something you you do. do.